Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mud Studs and Skullcaps podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Kelsey. And in today's episode, we're going to cover proper clinic etiquette. We want to give you some tips and tricks so you'll be able to impress your clinician and get the most out of your ride. So how was your week, Kelsey? How you guys have anything exciting happening? Um, my week was good. I was gone for a couple days. And of course, anytime you leave your property, drama <laughs> typically ensues, right? Like that phone call you didn't think you were gonna get, or like you just leave with your fingers crossed, hoping nothing happens, knowing full while like something's gonna happen when I'm gone. Yes. And this last week I left my boyfriend as the house sitter. So he had all of my horses and dogs and cats to monitor. It's a brave move. It's brave. He's done it for me before, but I think this was definitely the longest period of time that I was gone for. And I thought it would be the easiest because I had two horses at home and two down the road in the field. We had just moved Hudson, my yearling, down to go hang out with the thoroughbreds. And I thought, like, this is going to be so easy, right? Like, (laughs) only two horses at home to take care of. Yes, you'll have to go check on the horses at the barn. But, like, they can take care of themselves. Fatal final thoughts, those are. Yes. Basically, I was super wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So we, um, like, a couple days before I left, had hauled my yearling down the road. Uh, First time in a trailer, like, he'd practiced loading once or twice before, but, like, never been hauled. He did amazing, no problems. We got him out, and of course, being at a new place, he acted as all horses do at a new place. They suddenly are a thousand feet tall, and they're prancing, and you basically have a (laughs) kite at the end of your lead rope. And thankfully, he's little enough that, like, my kite didn't go too far. Oh, my god! And he, he calmed down. So I was actually pretty, like, pleasantly surprised with him that he was able to calm down. We get him there. We turn him out with the two retired thoroughbreds. And things, you know, progress as you think they would. He gets chased around. He's investigating. They're investigating him. A lot of sniffing, a lot of running, a lot of kicking, and just general boy drama. And I thought, like, this is going to be fine. Like, this is just, you know, the process that they go through, right? Whenever you initiate a new horse into the herd, there's always drama. There's always running. And everyone, right, establishing the pecking order, it just, it takes time. Well, they do the whole, like, I was here first, so I am so much cooler than you are. And you can't be a part of our group. Like the whole, we wear pink on Wednesdays and you can't sit with us. That's who they are. Oh, exactly. And Hudson came in at a disadvantage because he's a pony, a pony yearling, (laughs) and he comes into a pasture with two grown thoroughbreds who there's a bit of a height difference. And I have noticed horses use that height difference to their advantage. Whenever I um, have seen like big herds of horses, usually the biggest horse is the jerk. And I think that's just because they can use their size. That's the way it was at the ranch. The biggest horse was a Clydesdale. And he could use his muscle and his body to, like, get everyone else out of his way and get what he wanted. So I think uh, the thoroughbreds picked up on that and were were using that. But everything seemed fine. And I, you know, I was down there a couple times a day checking on everyone. And there was just the normal, normal stuff. The boys hang out in the shelter during the day and they, like, didn't really want to let the little guy hang out in the shelter. So he ended up spending like a lot of time on the fence, hanging out with the horses in the pasture next door. Sure. Sure, which is totally fine. Like he's not alone. He's in a big field. He has tons of space and grass. Like I'm not that worried about it. So I left thinking everything was going to be fine. I did tell my boyfriend, however, like here are the warning signs. Like if these, if you show up and these things are going on, like he's dripping in sweat, it's obvious he's been running or if he's got like a major injury, he's been kicked really hard or something, or if he just has a ton of bite marks and it's obvious that like he's just getting the brunt of their frustration, then let's let's put him in the trailer and let's let's go. I didn't think those things were going to happen, so I thought it'd be okay. <laughs> I left on Wednesday. Saturday morning, I get a text message from the girl who shares the field with me because it's her horse is the other thoroughbred, asking Where's your horse? Did you take him home? Oh, my God. No. no. I'm in eastern Washington. Like, I am nowhere near you. Like, 
no. And my boyfriend would have told me. He wouldn't just show up and take my horse. <laughs> so, of course, you're thinking, like, oh, my gosh, the worst has happened. He's, like, colicking and he's down in the grass and she can't see him. Or he's hurt, like he's hurt and she can't see him because he's little and he's laying down or something. Or he somehow escaped and is just missing. So, well, stole? Like I thought, I was like, no one would steal him. Like he's not that cute. <laughs> so like that did cross my mind. was like, no, I don't think anyone stole him. So like he must be hurt. Like that was the only thing that ran through my mind was that he must be hurt. And then like, you know, it's a big field. So I wasn't sure how much like she walked around to look for him. Maybe he was just in the corner and she didn't see him from where she was standing. So, of course, I'm in the woods without cell phone service, and I'm trying to get a hold of my boyfriend. It takes me a while, and I finally get a hold of him, and I'm like, where's the horse? I'm like, where? Where is he? <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't know. He was there yesterday when I went to check. You know, it's still the morning. I haven't gone down yet. You know, like, I'll go down right now and look for him. So about like an hour later, I get a phone call and he's clearly standing in the field or a field. <laughs> and I can hear the wind and I can hear the horses. And he's like, well, I found him. He's fine. But he climbed over the fence to visit the other horses. So he. Oh, my God. Yes. He had climbed into. Wait, how tall is the fence? So it's one of those mesh wire fences. So he can just roll it over. And that's what he did. He didn't break anything. He just rolled over the mesh and, like, slid across it. Um, So Ben, frustrated and uh, decided at that point he was going to go get the trailer and take the horse home, which he was able to do all by himself. And I'm really impressed that my boyfriend was able to catch my horse in a field with other horses. He said my horse was being a bully and chasing the other horses around. And at one point while I was on the phone, he definitely got knocked over (laughs) and like knocked on the ground by my horse. And, you know, of course, on the other end, you know, you're like, well, don't let him do that. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. It's just not a problem I have. Like, I don't know. Wave your arms. Like, get bigger. Like, treat it like it's a bear. Poor Ben. But he got him caught and he got him down the pathway, up into the trailer, and took him home, got him unloaded, like, no problem. So I'm really impressed with my skills of training my horse. (laughs) I don't know. I think the credit has to go to Ben on this one. I'm really impressed that he figured out how to get him in a trailer by himself because I still can't figure out how to do the divider and the back door and all of that by myself. (laughs) So I'm really impressed that he was able to do that by his self (laughs) and get the yearling home. But he was very annoyed with me and my horse. (laughs) I'm just impressed he got the halter on correctly. I cannot tell you how many tries it takes Sean to get the halter on the right way on the horse's head. In all fairness, we have no evidence that he got the halter on correctly. <laughs> <laughs> There's no photos. <laughs> That's true. That, so not sure if it, it went correct or not, but the horse did get in the trailer and did get home and it's totally fine. No, no damage, no cuts, no nothing. I did get a text from the barn owner, and she said that he had actually already climbed over the fence a couple times before, and they had just been putting him back in the pasture. (laughs) Did you double check to make sure that he brought the right horse home? Like, did he correctly identify which one was yours and bring the correct one home? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be hilarious had there been, like, another little black pony in my paddock? (laughs) That one's not mine. It's like the, the husband that comes home from the park and brought the wrong, like, baby home. Like, nope, that's not the right kid. You kidnapped somebody. No, he definitely brought home the right kid. That would have been funny. I don't remember. I think he sent me photos, too, like, when he was there to confirm (laughs) that, like, this one's yours. Yeah, that was our adventure for this week. So my vacation was great. My boyfriend was a little stressed taking care of my animals. All right, so do you want to get into clinic etiquette and just kind of what our opinions are in regards to this? Yeah, I definitely think we should jump right into this topic and discuss what are some strategies for getting the most out of your clinics. Uh, I think we have a lot of cool ideas uh, that maybe not everyone thinks of uh, to get the most and to learn the most while while you're at your clinic. And I also just like to preface it that these, of course, are our opinions. And we might come off a little prudish with some things. I realize is we kind of have the old school 90-year-old grandma logic on some stuff, but... I think it's acceptable. I think I think we're okay with some of our line of thinking, right? I mean, I, we have recently watched several clinics that were, you know, the ones we've been watching were filmed in the last year. And I think it still holds true. Yeah. 
Right, like what what we're saying still is very evident at these clinics. It definitely makes a difference. You can tell the riders apart who are in different mindsets, who have come prepared at different levels. You can definitely tell. And these weren't just, you know, the very basic minimal clinics that are watching. These are ones that people pay hundreds of dollars per day to be there and attend. Like these are the top tier, higher up um, level of clinics that they're like getting top level of construction at. That we're still seeing these reoccurring issues are just kind of things that people could be improving on to enhance their clinic experience. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly like these are happening at all different levels of clinics from clinici- clinics with top, you know, riders with Olympians to clinics with 4-H trainers and lower level local trainers. So it, it happens at all levels and you can get the most out of your clinic, any clinic, using some of these tips and tricks. All right. Do you, what's, I'm assuming you have a list. You always have a list. What's the first thing on your list that you thought of for clinic etiquette? So the first thing on my list is to bring a friend and to bring a camera and make sure that you're recording everything. You're including the sound and you are, you know, focused on all riders and not just your ride. This can be really beneficial because you can watch it back later and you can watch how different riders are handling different situations, maybe small details you missed while uh, the rides were going on because right, there's a lot happening when you're in the moment watching. Yeah. But you can also, my favorite thing to do is, I'm a little bit of a nerd, but is body language. So trying to get a better, a better understanding of the clinician's body language as well as their speech patterns because there is a lot you can learn about what's actually happening if you're watching how they're reacting to what just occurred um, and how they're, they're talking to either you or to other riders. And you can start to figure out, oh, this is what they really liked and this is what they didn't like so much. And you can get a lot more of those details. No, I 100% agree with that. I also preface it with if you're going to bring someone and have them film for you, maybe give them like a little bit of direction for how to film horses in a lesson. I One of the clinics <laughs> we were watching, the cameraman filmed the crowd. Like yes, no horse was going that. through the course, took the camera and focused it on the crowd. And you just saw someone's husband or boyfriend or brother, someone they brought along. And the cameraman was just filming somebody else filming. And I was like, this is so pointless. Why are we looking at this? Yeah, if you have a horse friend, that's probably best. (laughs) Someone who knows what it's like to look at the camera um, and try to watch it. Yes. Because this is something that I run into with my boyfriend all the time. Where, like, he just sets it on the fence. And then I'm at, like, a weird angle. And, like... Only half of the arena is caught. So I really, really appreciate him coming out and videoing me when I ask him to. But then he always, like, there's always the fence rail. Like, it's just, you didn't notice? You know, like, just work on your framing. (laughs) So definitely, like, if you've got somebody who's maybe a little bit greed, uh, talk to him about framing because framing is important. And maybe the Zoom button. I can't tell you how many times I've had video taken that they never once hit the Zoom button. And I was like, could you really see the tiny brown dot out there moving across the screen? Because I can't. Yeah. Yeah, so that one definitely can be a challenge if you don't have anyone to bring with you who is, you know, a horse person or is a little bit more comfortable with a camera. But you can definitely try to encourage, maybe do a practice run at home, uh, working with the there's technique to, like, follow and zoom in and out as the rider comes closer and further away, which can be challenging. I don't disagree, especially if you're just using, like, an iPhone or something. I don't That might make it easier or harder. I don't really know. Definitely try to capture as much of the clinic on video as you can. And I know some of these nicer clinics are being videoed and they may be available for you to purchase or to coordinate with someone to get get the video from. Yeah, but videoing yourself in the clinic and the other riders around you is just, it's so beneficial because you get to go back and watch it and you're not always paying attention to the other riders 100% during the clinic. And so... You don't pick up on necessarily what they were told, but it might apply to when you're riding a different horse or it might apply to the ride that you're having a different day. And so it just, it helps you pick up those little nuances that you didn't originally hear or understand. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times at a clinic, you're just focused on your ride and making sure you're doing your best, that you're not always taking in everything else that's happening around you and going back and being able to watch what 
the clinician was telling other writers might be really beneficial because that might be a problem you also have or like you said it's a different horse or a different day and you might be able to use that information to, to help you as well later so my very first thing on my list that I had that I think I I can't remember the last time I had a clinic that I wasn't asked this question or even if you go and you have a lesson with someone the very first time that you've never met before you always are asked who are you who is your horse what are you guys working on and just kind of the basic questions and I refer to it as like you know when you go to a job interview you have your elevator pitch Mm -hmm. your 15 seconds who I am my qualifications what I'm doing what I'm working towards Mm -hmm. and I think when you go to a clinic you have to have that prepared have that pre-game ready to go that you know what you're going to say. That way you're not standing up there coming up with some BS weaknesses that aren't actually what you're really struggling with or working on. And like, don't be afraid to tell them exactly what you're struggling with. But at the same time, they don't need to know your horse's entire life history. Yeah, I think it actually comparing it to a job interview is really smart because not only do you have that sort of you know, elevator pitch of who you are and why you should be hired. But you also get all, you're always asked like, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And that is absolutely something that the clinician is also asking and wants to know. What are, you know, and again, don't make them those standard weaknesses of I need more leg or, you know, it's a little bit deeper to what you and your horse are truly working on and truly struggling with. Or, you know, what you've really mastered sometimes can also tell a lot about you, what skills you're really good at yeah I know people always want to say oh I'm working on my horse rushes slightly or we need more confidence or something but those are very surface level weaknesses there's always more to it so give the clinician a little bit more to understand why that's your weakness so maybe you need more leg but explain you need more leg because you're lacking the confidence and you just can't figure out when you should be applying that leg you know go into it a little bit deeper because then the clinician is starting off knowing so much more they can just hop in and help you get going rather than trying to actually figure out what's going on and wasting the first 20 minutes of the clinic trying to see what's happening it can also help save the clinician a lot of time when you're discussing you know your strengths and your weaknesses but also kind of what you choose and how you say it also tells the clinician a lot about you so this is the one opportunity you have during the clinic to actually really speak uh, and to tell them who you are and, you know, show your confidence, show your professionalism, show your organization. This is really that one time that you get to do it through words because much of the clinic you're going to find out that you should be fairly quiet during the clinic. Um, and this is the opportunity for them to get that impression of who you are um, and what your, like, depth of knowledge and understanding is through that through that question and that beginning introduction. So saying nothing also at this time or saying just a couple words isn't your best approach or the best use of that time. No, so that's a good point. Um, what's your next uh, go-to clinic tip or clinic etiquette? Um, so I'm just going to throw this one in quick as it's similar to bringing a camera, but also bringing a notebook so that you can journal right after your ride. It's really important when a lot of those ideas are fresh in your brain to write them down so that you have you can start to write things down like feel what um, some of those details of the exercises were because you may miss some of those moments from the video. If you rewatch the video, you may miss that idea of what it felt like when you did something correctly. And if you can write down what that feel was, uh, write down what some of that timing and those more specific details are, then that will help you remember that ride and remember how to apply it again and what you're looking for in the future. Huh, interesting. I don't think I have ever taken a notebook once to a clinic. I was yes. yes, but what? <laughs> how dare I? Well, I mean, for like Pony Club, we were supposed to keep record books and keep journals of our Supposed rides. to be being the operative. Supposed one. to be being operative. And oftentimes, right, this is left at home and you don't get to do it till you get home. And then by the time you get home, it's been a few hours. You're tired. You got a snack. You took a nap. <laughs> and what you're writing down isn't maybe everything that happened or it isn't that some of you're going to be missing things. So the sooner you can do it, the sooner you can get those things down on paper. I always bring a notebook to me, to me, with me when I go to a clinic because you don't know what's going to be said. And sometimes it's just Sometimes it's like the most offhanded statements that can have like a huge impact or really mean something to you. I often find that it's like 
it's something random that the clinician said that you're like, oh, I get it. And it wasn't like their big, you know, it wasn't like a big speech or something really important. It was just like this little sentence that they said that was like, oh, yeah, that, that's 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 it right there. No, I agree 100%. I mean, sorry, it's kind of off topic. I mean, still on the topic of clinics, mm-hmm. but do you have one right off the top of your head that a clinician one time said to you that just clicked and resonated with you? Because I have one that I remember a clinician saying, but I want to know if you have one as well that like... So I have one that's coming to me really strongly right now, but it it took me several more months to figure out what he was actually saying. So I do have one like that. Do you want me to share or you want to share yours? Share yours first and then I'll share mine. So mine was with a um, well-known dressage clini- clinician. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm just not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) So he was talking about how you need to, you know, getting someone to ride with a much softer rein and constantly getting off that inside rein. And I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he just kept telling the the riders to give the rain, give the rain away, ride on slack, don't ride with on contact with the rain, give the rain away. And what I realized later, what he was trying to say is that your hands should be constantly being pushed forward from your abdomen and from your body and that it's your core that is supporting you while you're riding. But it was, he was saying one sentence and someone said it in a different way about pushing your hands in front of you and that you're constantly pushing and never pulling back. That like really made sense to me about how to actually use your hands when you're riding and how the contact works. And that, I remember those two very specific moments and those two people saying it. It was like, oh, this is what I've been doing wrong. I get it. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. The one that I had, I was at um, a clinic uh, probably a year and a half ago, two years ago. I was riding a little Welsh pony, and she recently at the time had just started, um, anytime we came near the gate in the arena, is she would violently rear up, going one direction, and spin. And then it started that, like, the farther away. So, like, it used to be right when we crossed with the gate to the arena, she would do this move. And then it got to where we were farther and farther away from the gate to where we could really only do a 10-meter circle before she would rear up and try to change directions. And I was getting frustrated because I couldn't figure out, you know, how do I tackle this issue when it seems every time I try to address it, it gets worse. Mm -hmm. And he said, the less the behavior happens, the less likely it is to happen. Mm -hmm. And it took me a little bit to understand that one, but I was like, oh, that makes sense. The less she rears, the less likely she is to rear. So sometimes it's not just about muscling the horse through it. It's about leaving that issue alone and go focus on something else. Remove their brain from their little circle, the loop that they're stuck in, and focus on something else. Because the less they do it, the less likely they are to do it. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Ever since then, I think about that almost every single ride. Anytime something happens, if my horse is tense at the beginning of the ride, I think, well, I just need to get them to relax more and focus on getting that relaxation a lot sooner because the less they're tense, the less likely they are to be tense, you know? Yeah. Ah, it's just amazing. Yeah, no, that's Sorry. a that's a great a great one. Yeah. That's really I like that. Thank you. Me too. All right. Now we can get back to all our clinic advice and tips of attending clinics. Yes. <laughs> so I think we should talk maybe a little bit about our riders and how you should present yourself, not just what you say, but also what you wear to your clinic has a huge impact on the feedback you're going to get. And this was like super evident. We watched a clinic a few weeks ago now, um, and this was like an online clinic, not not one of those virtual clinics, but like it was a real clinic. It took place in real arenas with real people. Um, We were watching the video footage of it. Yes, we were watching the video footage of it. And one of the girls was riding – And she was wearing this pink and blue polo. And it was a pink polo with like a navy blue stripe, um, like a diagonal stripe from shoulder to hip across it. And unfortunately, the way this this shirt was colored, it really made it look like she was dropping her shoulder, specifically the dark blue one. Uh, And it made her look like she was constantly hunched over and roached in her back while she was jumping. And... Perhaps she was, and perhaps she wasn't, because the shirt was really misleading in its color. So it's really important that you put a lot of thought into what you're going to wear, because not only can the colors and the designs 
they can either enhance your position or, you know, they can make it look like you're doing something you're not. But it also, it speaks to your professionalism and, you know, the, the fact that you are a working, you know, you're a working professional or you're a young professional or you're a wannabe professional who has showed up to this clinic. Yeah. So I remember us, we were watching her and we kept watching and thinking, you know, is she riding crooked? Is she that off to one side? And she might have been, but you couldn't tell because you couldn't tell what was the shirt and what was her. Because I think whatever, maybe she was off to the side or she was collapsing on one side. Like it was made way more obvious by the shirt. And so you couldn't tell how minute those details were. That like we have certain, we've heard certain recommendations over the years of, you know, having uh, horizontal stripes or a single vertical stripe that goes up the middle of your back helps clinicians see how your body is moving. Yeah, those stripes, right. If you have the horizontal stripes that go along your shirt, that shows if you're collapsing really easily or, you know, if you're sitting up really tall or if you're sitting crooked, those stripes will help align. Um, they align and the, the clinician from the ground can see that stuff much quicker and much easier. That is something like in your lessons and as someone who's taught a lot of lessons, like as an instructor, we stand behind our students so often just trying to figure out like, what are you doing, right? Um, like it could be, it's something that like I spend probably half my lesson just standing behind my student being like, what the heck is going on? Like something's not working. Like why is this horse running out of the grid halfway through? It's not the horse. It's got to be you. Why are you making, like why are you doing this? And so things that like stripes down your back, stripes, the horizontal stripes can really accentuate your position and make it real easy for a clinician to like identify things quickly so they don't have to stand behind you peering at you for like an hour trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, the same is said, I know there's some um, jackets or kind of like the base layer, tighter tops, and they will have just a singular kind of wider stripe down the spine of the shirt mm -hmm. and that helps clinicians and instructors see if someone is you know collapsing on one side and then the stripe like curves to one direction or they can see you know how, how the spine is moving and how the rider is using their own body and it's really cool yeah and you can get the correct feedback like right if you're not sitting straight in the saddle things like that will show with a stripe down your back and you can get that feedback and make those adjustments and it's really important i mean you can do this in your lessons regularly you can do this at home when you're riding and have someone videoing you but in clinician in cl I keep saying clinicians in <laughs> clinics you have such little time right it's such a short amount of time and you're trying to get the most out of that hour that hour and a half whatever it is so you taking every advantage you can is really important and that's why dressing in a way that's going to get the most out of your lesson can be super beneficial yeah and that also extends out to things like hoodies don't wear a hoodie no hoodies. in a clinic or even a lesson. Don't wear a hoodie because it's going to take away from your own position is that it makes it look like you might be hunching your back or hunching your shoulders or rounding your shoulders, but it makes it appear that way. And so you might be doing it. You might not be. But the clinician and instructor will never know because that hood is blocking their view and they can't tell. Um, same thing with like just bulky clothes, wearing like really bulky sweaters and jackets and things that also takes away from being able to see your position. Obviously, this doesn't happen in clinics, but it happens in lessons all the time where I'll have a kid show up in like a dress and I can't see what you're doing. What? You <laughs> When I was teaching little kids, they would show up in dresses and it was the worst because I cannot <laughs> see what your legs are doing. Oh, so the chafing. <laughs> Well, no, they would have the leggings. They would have, like, riding pants underneath them, but, like, the dress on top, and it just it doesn't work. So don't wear a dress to your clinic. I know you guys don't do that, but <laughs> just the bulky things, like a lot of jackets can be really long, and if they're not fitted properly, then it hides your hips, and it hides what's happening with your seat. Um, and then things like the opposite direction – don't show too much skin, no tank tops. <laughs> like, you should be appropriately covered. Um, I always was taught to believe you should be wearing a collared shirt, um, whether it's buttons or snaps or even a zipper, that's totally fine. And your shoulders should be covered. Shoulders bleed a lot. That's the, that's the rumor, is that that's a very vulnerable place on your body. Um, and it's also, when you're moving around and riding a horse, tank tops move and things show and like don't put yourself in that position i don't know like cover up so that yeah, yeah and this is kind of where we sound a little bit more prudish but 
it's a professional setting. Like a clinic isn't your your lesson. A Correct. clinic isn't you went to camp with your friends. A clinic is you presenting yourself as a professional that you are and to be taken seriously and to learn and figure out new things and maybe take the next step in your riding. It's not the place to be wearing a spaghetti strap tank top. And we saw uh, in the clinic that we were watching last a couple weeks ago, we saw a girl that rode up to one of the lessons wearing a tank top. We're like, oh, gosh, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. So definitely be conscious about what you're wearing. And like like Robin said, you know, this is a professional setting. You should treat this like a job interview. And that is a potential employer who is now teaching you, right? Like that is a number one way to find, you know, your next boss if you're interested in being a working student is riding in a clinic with them. Like that is a great way to find your next trainer. That is a great way to find that boss, to find that mentor. So this is someone you might be running into at shows or competing with in a few years. You want to make sure you're presenting yourself as a respectable professional um, and that you are, you know, maybe you're not a professional yet. Maybe that's just your goal or maybe that's not even your goal, but you should be acting as if you're going to be um, or that you will be someday a professional uh, because you want them to take you seriously. And a lot of it comes down to respect and showing that you value their time and you have taken it so seriously that you have decided to dress as a professional um, and in a really, you know, appropriate outfit. Well, yeah, and it just it reflects on you so much better because it shows that you care. It shows that you are there presenting yourself in a way that shows that you are there to learn and you want to learn. And that's going to make a clinician want to work with you that much more uh-huh. and spend more time on you rather than, like, leaving you over in the corner with an occasional, good job, mad a girl. You know, it will help them know that you're serious and that you're willing to learn and take notes and try to figure out what's going on. And so it just makes them take you that much more seriously. Yeah. And especially a lot of clinics are group clinics. You're going to be riding with six other kids in that class or six other adults in that class. And the clinician only has so much time. And if you're not presenting yourself as someone who wants to be there, then they may not want to teach you. They may find themselves saying less and less to you and interacting with you less because they have such a small window of time to try to make an impact on six, you know, sometimes eight kids. And especially when you're doing jumping courses in cross country, it tends to be a lot of people in a in a group. Um, so those are things to take into consideration of the way you dress and appear. Um, and it doesn't just apply to your clothes. It also applies to your tack is is really important. Yes, clean your tack before. Do not come to a clinic with leftover grass and gunk on your bit. Do not do it. Don't do it. Please, for the love of God, don't do it. Yes. Sorry, it's peppy peppy Clean tack. Clean tack is like the frosting on the cake. It makes everything just that much sweeter. <laughs> uh, and that much, I mean... You all know how much, like, it feels so good riding in a clean saddle, you know, especially if you've got full seat breeches on, you stick a little bit better, your seat's a little bit, like, so why not take that advantage? Like, I mean, a lot of this is take, you are just taking an opportunity and you are taking advantage of that opportunity that's in front of you. Yes. You have clean tack. That's an opportunity. Uh, it costs nothing to be well turned out. It costs nothing to clean your tack, to grab a clean saddle pad, to have clean wraps or boots. That is free. It doesn't have to be the most expensive tack in the world, but if it's cleaned and looks nice, that's free. Take advantage of that. I, I like the idea of take it, take advantage of the opportunities that you have available to you. You might not have the most expensive fancy gear out there. You might not have the newest thing on the market, and that is totally fine. But take care of the objects and the items that you do have and take the time and effort to present yourself well with your clothes, your tack, your horse, making sure they are groomed adequately, that they don't have poop stains on them, you know, make sure that you're turned out well. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you're taking advantage of that because you also don't know, this may be for some of us, we only get to do one clinic a year. For others, we might be doing a couple a year. So you really want to take advantage of every little opportunity you get. Um, and having a clean horse and clean tack is part of taking advantage of that. Okay, so discussing tack. So one thing for tack is this, you should kind of treat it like it's a show. 
Uh, and by that, you should be riding in your normal gear. Don't show up in a bit that you've never used before or that brand new saddle you haven't ridden in before. This should be the gear you use every single day so that the clinician can give you the honest feedback about the equipment you are using and if it's working or not using or not working. Because a lot of clinicians do have... Um, beliefs centered around gear and that like especially when it comes to bits that every horse has a specific bit that works for them so they want to see you riding in that gear that you normally ride in and we'll make try to make adjustments from there yes but on top of that if you have other tack and other equipment bring it along and have it in your trailer because I can't tell you how many clinics and lessons you've gone to that the instructor the clinician wants to try something out they want to try something different and just see if it changes something that they might be looking for. And so it's so much easier if, say, they want to change your bridle out or change your bit out and you have what they're looking for and you can just quickly change it out there and get their immediate feedback on whether or not it got the response and reaction they're looking for. Because when you go home and you test it out, you're not quite sure what the clinician was looking for. You're not quite sure the exact signs. And so when you can get that immediate feedback there, it makes it so much easier. Yes, yeah. Bring your tack room with you. Um, I know that there are, like I mentioned, there are specific clinicians that are really big into, for example, bits. Um, Lucinda, Lucinda Green believes that there is a bit for every single horse. And I know she travels with a collection of bits. Um, and so I would recommend, you know, you may not be riding with Lucinda Green, but I would recommend bringing your bits with you because there are plenty of other clinicians out there that also have a similar philosophy, especially if you are someone who is unsure about whether you should be riding in a curb bit or not riding in a curb bit, you're on the fence, make sure you've got that snaffle bridle with you because a lot of times clinicians often want to go back to basics. That's like another big thing, right? Is take all the gear off, take all the gadgets off, put a snaffle bit in, and let's just start from there and see what we actually have. Well, the same goes for cavassons or nosebands. You know, they want to... Maybe someone's riding in a drop nose band or a figure eight and they just want to change it out for a regular cavasson and see how the horse goes. Yes, yes. That, yeah, definitely happens. I mean, and there's tons of gear that you can change from your breast collars to your girths. So a lot of times you will find um, clinicians and instructors who have a strong opinion about certain tack items. I know there's like some girths out there that there's some really strong opinions on whether they are good or not. Um, and sometimes it's you may not 100% agree with it, but if you can give them the opportunity to, you know, try it. If I do change my girth, if I do change my breast collar, my noseband, does it make a difference? Are we making progress towards whatever the goal is? Um, yes or no, that feedback can be really beneficial. Yeah, well, I mean, and take everything with a grain of salt. Be out there with an open mind, be willing to try things and learn new things and accept that you don't know everything because you're there for a reason. But at the same time, Maybe something really didn't work for you and you gave it an honest try and you really tried doing everything they said and were working with it and it just wasn't working for you and your horse. That's fine. Just take it with a grain of salt, you know, but be willing to listen and learn. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely important to be willing to try something new, try something different. Yeah. Don't give the immediate feedback of, oh, well, we normally go better than that. That might be true. That might be fine. But today you're not. See if whatever they have a change or adjustment to make. If it fixes it, if it improves whatever's happening. Absolutely. I uh, have anything else tack related? Not tack related. I had something along the lines of um, taking advantage of opportunities. Ooh, hit me with it. What are your... Hit me with your best shot. Okay, here we go. The other thing I was going to say for taking advantage of opportunities is it's particular with um, group dressage lessons when someone goes out to ride a test and everyone else is standing or group jump lessons when someone might be riding the course and you are standing in the middle number one always be ready to Mm -hmm. go and when your turn is coming around be ready have your horse warmed up ready to go and do not just sit there on your horse like they're a couch be attentive and be ready to listen because a lot of times the clinicians are going to turn around and say did you guys see that this is what she did this is what she could have fixed or this is what she did and that's what saved her butt in this combination that's what saved them going through a certain line so be attentive and listening even when you're standing in the middle and it's not your turn and you're not going. Also, do you know how many times the clinician has turned around and Ben said to the group, what did you see there or what would you have done or like asked for you to provide feedback if you weren't paying attention and you weren't watching? 
you're gonna look real silly (laughs) so yes be paying attention even to the other riders that are going um and absolutely be ready uh we don't have a ton of time in these clinics so not wasting time knowing when your turn is is really important yeah that was just kind of one of my big things takeaways was i know we were watching some of the clinics a couple weeks ago and there's a few riders that just sat on their horse and they knew when their turn was coming around they knew like that they were going to be the next ones up to go and yet they weren't getting their horse you know back online they weren't doing anything they weren't even watching they were just sitting slouched over in the saddle yeah um and a couple other things for paying attention and this happens a lot of times with jumping horses is what i can think of specifically for an example is a lot of times the rider before you will make like a a big mistake and that big mistake may be that they cut the corner way too short or they hey, didn't, oh, been there right and they di- or they didn't ride the line correctly if the clinician calls that out and addresses it you better not make the same mistake you better then be able to go deep into your corner you better then be able to figure out where that correct line is for that course or whatever whatever it was because if you aren't listening to like the big um like basically alerts that the clinician is giving they're gonna start to be concerned that you're not listening to those smaller statements that they're making those smaller details and it's a sign to them that you're not paying attention and if you're not paying attention to the big things you're probably not paying attention to the little things and you might find them again talking to you less they're just going to determine it's not worth their time you know they rather focus their attention on someone they know they can get results from yeah And that's really like the hard thing with clinics. They're so different than lessons is that one, a clinician comes with their own agenda. They have come and been asked often, you know, can you teach a clinic and you're going to teach on adjustability and rhythm? Like those are your, those are your two punch words and you're going to hit exercises that talk about adjustability or straightness or whatever it is. And those might not necessarily be your problems. You may not be someone who has a horse that's hard to adjust. You can make those stride changes. You may find yourself not getting a ton out of that clinic because that clinician has come with their agenda. But also, on the other hand, you know they may not be able to tackle all of your problems because they don't fit into that agenda. They may only be able to tackle a couple of your problems that sort of fit into today's outline of the lesson. Um, unlike a normal lesson where if things start to go wrong, your instructor is going to adjust and start to teach you to today's problems. Clinics are not set up like that. They're not there to teach you for today's problems. They're there to teach you to whatever this topic is. And give you more tools for your toolbox, really. Correct. Yeah. As they pertain to said topic. <laughs> yeah. It's not It's not a lesson. A clinic is not a lesson. Yes. Yeah. No, can't stress that enough. Yeah, it's not a lesson. It's a lot different than um, a lesson. And... Part of it being different than a lesson should also be your response to the clinician. So in lessons, you may find yourself talking a lot and having conversations with your instructor because your instructor may be more of a friend at this point. Clinicians and clinics are not the same. You should be finding yourself listening a lot more than you are talking. I've noticed watching a couple of these clinics you mentioned that the riders that are talking a lot are often using that as a deflection tool so they can deflect the criticism the clinician is giving them. So instead of accepting what the clinic, clinician is saying and you know taking a deep breath, absorbing that information and going on to do the job that was asked, they sort of sit there and give excuses um, and make jokes and try to be overly friendly. And that's not the relationship between clinicians clinician and student it's a little bit different of a relationship than between you know instructor and student and that should be you know you should find yourself listening more and talking less when you're in the clinic no I couldn't agree more and one of the ones that we're clinics I were watching um the girl was kind of trying to be really buddy buddy with the clinician and every time the clinician would point something out that she was doing incorrectly or might have interfered with her horse the girl just kind of responded by laughing it off and was like oh yeah no that's my fault ha 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 but she never made adjustments it was kind of her deflection technique in which like it was just her way of saying oh yeah no that's me move on like we're not gonna fix that today right that exactly because yeah she used it as the like oh I know I have that problem 
let's do something else. And it was like, wait, but this is something that actually needs to be tackled. And it was very evident by the end um, of day two of that clinic that that clinician's language patterns were indicating that she was about to murder this girl. (laughs) So um, that is, she was, the clinician was saying nice words, but the way in which she was saying it and the frequency um, and how it was, those words are being used with this student and not with other students was very clear that uh, she was very fed up with this um, girl's approach to to listening. Yeah, and that's one of the things when you go back and are rewatching videos from the clinics and stuff is you might be able to tell when clinicians get frustrated or they might have been annoyed and you can tell the different voice fluctuations that they have. You know, sometimes you might be hearing a clinician say repeatedly after each person goes through a grid or a course or saying good, good, good. Then they have that one time the horse and rider combination goes through and they say good you know they lengthen that word out and you'll be able to tell when they actually really like something when something impressed them or they saw the change that they were looking for yes i think good is my least favorite word especially when it comes to clinics because it tells me nothing (laughs) right what was good what was good and so that's definitely something to look for if you're just hearing the word good a lot it usually means you know, you're still on the horse, good job. Um, but it usually, if they saw something that was good, they will, they'll elaborate with what it was that they saw that was good, you know, good rhythm. There, nailed it. Now you know what what the, the good was for. But if it's just a generic thrown out there good, um, it's not really a compliment but it's also maybe not an insult. It's just, it doesn't really mean much of anything. And you should not take that as, you know, you're doing great. <laughs> you're still here, so you're still kicking. Right, and this was something that I, like, really became aware of the word good when I had the opportunity. We were in Kentucky um, after Pony Club Championships, and we were able to watch a bunch of different cross-country clinics all happening at the same time, and you could go from one group to the next to the gr- next, and you could listen to different clinicians. And there was one lady, I have no idea who it was, uh, but she kept saying good, and it was like, that was the only word she said. And it was, but, but like, it can't be. Like, there's something has to be happening. Like, did they do what you want? Did they not do what you want? Like, from a writer standpoint, that must have been so frustrating. From a um, auditor position, that was so frustrating. Because it's like, I'm here to learn. And I can't, I can't tell what's happening. Um, and it, it's not a very helpful, helpful word. But you'll hear it a lot in clinics. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's one of the things you pick up as you go along that you start to read into how they're saying it, how their body language is, and you, f- you figure it out, or you don't, and you're just as confused as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, you, you sometimes have to come with more than just horse riding skills to a clinic or to a lesson able, to be able to get everything you need to get or want to get from the lesson. All right, I exhausted my list. Do you have anything else? Nope, that is pretty much the end of my list. However... I have a fun listener question, or I guess it's not a listener question. I found this on Facebook. Um, So I have a fun Facebook question. There is a group I follow on Facebook that sometimes posts like these weekly fun questions, and I think we should answer this week's question. Oh, no. I haven't prepared an answer. That's okay. So this is a family feud style question. So you know what family feud is, right? Nope. It's like that game where there's like a bunch of people and there's like a thing and then they say words. I know Steve Harvey's exactly, in it, but Al, um, the guy from Owl Tool Time, Tool Time, he was the host before Steve Harvey. So thrown it way back to Al. I don't know. I don't know Al's real name <laughs> other than Al. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not very helpful. But he used to be the host. So it's that game right with the boards. It's like we surveyed 100 people and this is like the most common answer, the second most common answer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. I'm ready. So here's the question. And I don't have the answers. I don't have the correct answers. But Well, then how are you going to ask a question? But I just just hang, hang, hang on there. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. I'm on the edge of my seat. Name something you would find in an equestrian's vehicle. Okay. Lead rope. Okay, is this built grain? <laughs> like treats <laughs> shoved into the cracks instead of French fries. It's like carrots and cookies. Rogue horse treats that have crumpled up on the bottom of the floor somewhere. Yes, um, there's definitely that. What else would be an equestrian's car? I usually have like a helmet 
my helmet's usually in the car. Yeah, I usually have a helmet, boots of some type. Oh, yeah. Toy. Oh, my gosh. There's always my muck boots are always in the back of the car, and they stink up the entire car. There is always some stinky pair of boots. Yes. Somewhere in that vehicle. And it's always going to be a hot day when you come open your car back up, and you're like, whoo Yes. That should not have been in there for that long. Yeah. And I, for me, it's like I always have grain because I'm always transporting grain um, somewhere <laughs> to feed a horse. Oh, here's another answer. How about coffee? There's probably coffee in that car somewhere. Um, I know. I always try to keep her Coggins and like her recent vet like shots list in my vehicle. That way I always start prepared because most of the time I won't remember to take it to shows with me. And then they're like, do you have her Coggins? I'm like, oh, yes, I do because I leave it in my vehicle so I don't forget it. Okay. Okay. That is on the list. Someone else did say Coggins. Um, someone else says ba- they also said Banami, extra tack lead ropes. There's a lot of a lot of lead rope and halter. I do not have either in my car, and I'm now starting to feel inadequate. I always have a lead. I don't have a halter. I have a lead rope because I can turn a lead rope into a halter. But I always have a lead rope just because we have now what lost serious. We've lost multiple horses down a road and had to go retrieve them. And having a lead rope to retrieve that horse makes your life so much easier. Yes. I usually just end up using my belt when I find loose horses on the road, which, you know, happens way more than it should. Folks, check your fences. I have found a lot of loose horses on the road. It only happened to us twice with the same horse, but I'm just saying I've found a lot of horses. I had it happen to me like two months ago I lost my horse. That's true. You did lose your horse like two months ago. Yo, check your fences. I did. It was my gate. It turned out the wood shrunk a little bit and the gate latch popped out. It was a whole ordeal. Okay, man, I was really tore up about it. Well... Check your gates because I have found a lot of horses at very inconvenient times, like the middle of the night. I once found two horses on the road at like 4 a.m. It's not the best time. Me too. Not the best time for it. I remember one time I was driving to work and this was also like four months ago, which doesn't seem that recent, but it's recent enough. I was driving down the road and I was like, yo, those deer are a lot larger than I think they should be, right? Got closer. It was not deer. It was two loose horses. And I was sitting there. I was like, oh my gosh. Which house did they come from, right? You can't just leave them there. And so I had to figure out how to like wrangle these horses. Thank goodness I had a lead rope though. Dang it. Yeah, good thing. Okay. <laughs> so the last couple I saw on this list that I want to share. Uh, dog. I think that's a good, that's a given. <laughs> that's a nice one. Dog. Um, and also manure. <laughs> yes, it's probably stuck to the bottom of our boots. We know. <laughs> We know our car smells funny, and we're sorry, but not that sorry, because we're used to it at this point. It's true. I can't, if my car probably has the constant odor of just horse sweat, a little bit of horse manure, a lot of despair, broke, you know, that general scent. Despair, brokenness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Empty carrot bags. Yeah. Blowing in the wind. Oh, well, dog leash. There's always a leash. Does that count like a lead rope? Yeah, I'll give give that to you for a lead rope. Okay. I always have a leash in my car. Yeah, because I'm assuming you would probably grab the leash to catch anything if you really needed to. Well, maybe not a bear, but leaving out bears. Why would I? So the list doesn't have bears on it, but does that mean it has other things on it? (laughs) Like cougars? I don't know, man. I don't Like, I'm not sure. I feel like the list should only have horses on it. Or a dog. Or I suppose a dog. I could use a dog leash on a dog. You could use a dog leash on a dog. You could use a dog leash on a cat, raccoon. You have numerous things you could use a dog leash on. I'll have to think about that. All right, guys, I think we have pittered out our little brains for today. Um, Thank you for tagging along with us and listening to our podcast. If you want to catch up with us on Instagram, I'm going to be posting more frequently on there. Um, But we're on Instagram at mudstuds underscore skullcaps. Or you can send us questions, topics you want us to talk about, or just anything you have off the top of your head to our gmail which is mudstudsskullcaps at gmail.com yeah you can also leave a five-star review for us on apple itunes on their little podcast app also subscribe that is how we get noticed those reviews are for other people to watch and the subscriptions are how apple itunes and the different charts that be uh notice us so do those things Listen, follow, and uh, enjoy. Yep. And make sure, guys, stay safe, stay classy, and stay in the saddle. Bye. Bye.